morning. Good to be with you this morning. Uh, I have been here a couple couple different times at New Hope. I was here uh, to speak a couple of years ago, I think, and then a number of the guys this morning also recognized me and said, didn't you help to lead our men's, our stepping up men's retreat? Uh, I think about a year and a half ago, which I did. That was a great time. So it's always good to, uh, good to be back here. I was excited when Pastor Todd invited me to come back and share uh, this morning. Pastor Todd and I are um, two people that I guess we're just destined to be friends because we've sort of met on and off over close to 30 years, I guess. We grew up uh, very close geographically to each other and sort of knew each other uh, way, way back then. I know we both look, look younger and maybe act younger than we are, uh, so we're a little older than, than you would think. So we go back a few decades and uh, kind of knew each other, but then just kind of lost track of each other, didn't see each other for a number of years. And then uh, some circumstances brought us back together, oh, I don't know, maybe... 15 uh, years ago or so, uh, very briefly, we kind of got to know each other a little bit and then sort of lost track. This kind of like pre-Facebook, you know, so it was like hard to track and stalk people back in the day. So uh, then, uh, I don't know, about four years ago, four or five years ago, I think, Todd and Becky attended the weekend to remember, and we kind of met them again there. And then Todd and I went, wait a minute, I, th- I think we know each other. And so uh, kind of since that time, we've uh, hung out a lot more, uh, both in person. Every, every time we get together, like we'll schedule lunch or something. And after, I don't know, three or four hours, Becky is texting uh, Todd and Laurel's texting me going, where, where are you at? You know, like I, you were having lunch with Todd like three or four hours ago. And we're still sitting there talking about a million different things. So um, just a good friend, someone I enjoy um, hanging out with. So this morning, uh, Todd asked me to share a little bit with you about the ministry uh, that my wife and I do. We serve full-time with Family Life, so I will tell you a little bit um, about uh, what Family Life is and what we do. But then also this morning, we're going to take some time to look at the Word and uh, talk a little bit about the topic of marriage, since that's uh, the topic uh, that we deal with in our ministry. So my wife and I decided to join staff with Family Life back in 2011 after we attended a Weekend to Remember Marriage Getaway down in Columbus. Um, We do raise our own financial support to serve with that uh, ministry. So we completed our initial support raising process in the summer of 2013. Uh, This church does support our ministry, by the way. So if you're not uh, familiar with that or aware of that, this church has supported our ministry now for, um, I believe, two or three years. So we're grateful uh, for that, grateful for the um, support each month that comes in from uh, this church, as well as your prayers um, for our ministry as well. We do have a table right outside the main doors here as you exit this morning to the right. There's a little table there. Uh, we do have some prayer magnets there. We have some brochures about our ministry. So if you're not uh, familiar, if you don't have a prayer magnet, we would invite you to stop and pick one up to stick on your fridge or somewhere just to pray for us. Uh, as you see that magnet, we would greatly uh, appreciate that. Uh, so we have been serving now for uh, coming up on almost four and a half years uh, through Family Life. And during that time, we have really uh, watched to our amazement, God accomplished some things that are much bigger than anything that we would ever have imagined when we began four years ago. We kind of had a picture of what we thought ministry with Family Life would be like, uh, some ideas of things that we hope to accomplish, which uh, those things have been accomplished and are being accomplished, but much greater and much bigger than that. Uh, is what we have watched God do. So we're very excited uh, about that. First, before I get into a few examples of that, I want to share with you more specifically what it is that my wife and I do specifically 
uh, in our role at Family Life because I've been introduced a lot of different ways over the years. And as I talk and interact with people, they, they get a picture of what it is we do. And sometimes it's kind of accurate and sometimes it's like that, that has nothing at all to do with what we do. So people hear marriage and so they think, well, they, 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 they marry people. You know, they do wedding ceremonies. Well, I, I have done that because I've been a pastor 17 years prior to serving here, but that's not really what we do. Or other people will say, well, they're, they're marriage counselors. And it's true that from time to time, a couple comes to us that needs some help and we will kind of get involved in some counseling with them, but that's, that's not really what we do. Or uh, I've been introduced and people say they, they lead weekend remember conferences. And the truth is while I interact with people and I attend a lot of weekend marriage uh, conferences, I, I've never led one of those in my life. Uh, so it kind of overlaps with what we do, but uh, that's not what I do. So what we actually do is um, Laurel and I, for the past four and a half years, have been involved in uh, coaching and equipping and training uh, local churches or church leaders or just lay people uh, anywhere how to do marriage ministry. So, uh, for instance, when we attend a Weekend to Remember conference, uh, that, again, that's kind of how Todd and I met, is he said, well, I'd like to, like to do some of this stuff at, at our church. I'd like to think about using uh, Stepping Up. Uh, I'd like to think about doing a, a marriage retreat, you know, at our church. How, how do we do that? Is that something you can help us with? So that is what we do. So we said, yeah, we'd love to, to do that, which began a conversation several years ago uh, about how to come alongside him and leaders here at your church to do some of those things. So, so that's more, more of what we do. So all day long, uh, every day, all week long, every week, uh, you'll find us meeting face-to-face with people, on the phone, exchanging messages, uh, doing video conferencing calls with people in various parts of the country, uh, trying to just walk alongside of them and to help them explore. Uh, th- this is kind of what we feel like God might be calling us to do, but we're not sure how to do that. Like we've never done something like this before, so we're kind of scared to death how to how to do that. So maybe a couple comes to us and says, "Hey, we've got three or four couples that we know that we'd really like to help them in their marriage, uh, but we don't know how to do that." So we walk them through a process, we encourage them, we pray for them, we equip them, and before long, uh, they're, they're doing that, not only just with those few couples, but they go on many times to do a lot of other things and help a lot of other uh, people. So it's very, uh, very exciting for us to do that, both here in Northeast Ohio, which kind of is our primary heartbeat, I guess, to see marriages and, and families strengthened here, but we also work in numerous other states uh, around the country, Kentucky, Tennessee, Texas, Louisiana, a little bit into Indiana, Pennsylvania. So a lot of different places that God has opened up doors for us uh, to do that. So let me give you a couple of uh, specific examples of how people are being impacted specifically through uh, our ministry. So the Family Life does the Weekend to Remember, which I mentioned, uh, here in Northeast Ohio every year. Uh, This coming March, we'll actually have two events, uh, both in March. One will be in Independence and one will be in Fairlawn. So this past year, we just had one event, which was in Independence. And at that event, uh, at the Embassy Suites up there in Independence, we had 729 people who attended that event. It's an odd number, you might notice. And you say, well, if it's a marriage event, don't couples come? Yes, that's, that's usually true. But uh, I think at that particular event, if I remember right, it was a guy whose wife had passed away. They had already signed up, and he had committed to come and just thought, I, I still want to do this. So there's various different reasons. It's almost always an odd number. We always kind of shake our head and go, who, who's the the odd person here, or sometimes there's several, you know, people who attended by themselves. We were in Columbus a couple weekends ago and a lady came up to talk to my wife and at the last minute, her husband just refused to come with her, but she came anyhow to see what she could learn and apply in her marriage. So anyway, last year in Northeast Ohio, 729 people uh, came there. Countless marriages were strengthened. Um, Numerous couples who were really struggling uh, found hope and and help there. And instead of giving up on their marriage, they decided to kind of drive a stake in the ground and say, we're going to figure out together and with God's help how to make this work. 
Um, there were 51 people in Northeast Ohio this past March at that event who gave their hearts to Christ and made a first-time decision uh, to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, which is probably the most, not probably, that is the most exciting part of what we do is seeing people come to know the Lord uh, through that. And so at the, at the end of the day, that really is why we do what we do, even though it's a marriage ministry, and even though this morning we're going to talk about marriage um, what we really are about is trying to teach people from the word of God what is his plan. So not just for marriage, uh, but even with their life, what, what is his plan? And it all hinges on a personal relationship with Christ. That's what makes the difference in, in your life personally. Uh, for those of you who are married or who will be married at some point, that's what makes the difference in your marriage is putting Christ at the center of all that you do and of all that you are. So um, at events, events like that, uh, what happens is people will approach us during the weekend or they'll fill out a card or somehow or another they will express an interest in, uh, I'd like somebody to contact me because I'm interested. I'm thinking of people that need some help that I'd like to reach out to, don't know how to do that. Uh, so again, last March at this event, there were approximately 70 couples, 70 couples who expressed an interest and asked if we would connect with them after the event. Uh, in Columbus, Ohio, two weeks ago, there were 42 couples who expressed an interest in doing that. So every time one of these events happens, uh, we get this new uh, list, this big list of people who uh, ask for our help, and we begin reaching out to them. So in the past two weeks, we've been very busy uh, having a lot of conversations and initiating a lot of new relationships with people uh, to talk about what, what is it specifically that you feel that God is moving in your heart to do, and how can we come alongside of you to help you uh, to strengthen and encourage uh, married folks uh, that you know. So in addition to just regular marriage ministry coaching and training that I've told you about, God has also opened up an incredible window in the past couple of years for my wife and I to be involved in prison ministry. And so you say, well, how does that connect with family life and, and what you do? Well, initially, just over two years ago, it started uh, through stepping up. The, the event that, that we did with the men here uh, we do some small group uh, stepping up things in prisons. And so down at Belmont Correctional Facility in St. Clairsville, Ohio, there was a group of 55 men who were completing the 10-week stepping up small group study that we did there. And the chaplain invited me down to speak at a, a graduation ceremony, if you will, for those 55 guys, which I did. So I kind of gave them a challenge, spoke at a ceremony, congratulated them upon completing the small group, handed them certificates. It was a really neat um, day there. So that's kind of how it began. And through that uh, day and through the conversation with the chaplain and some things that happened there, a couple of things took place. Uh, first of all, that chaplain connected me with two guys who serve in the Ohio Department of Corrections in Columbus on West Broad Street. And I began a conversation with them. And in a very short period of time, they committed to do the stepping up study in every prison in Ohio, which had never been done before or since in any other state so far. So we're working with stepping up all over the country, and here and there a prison will pop up who'll do the study. But in Ohio, um, I'm happy to report that with the exception of one prison who hasn't begun yet, every other prison has been through stepping up, most of them four or five times now uh, with different guys there at the prison, including the maximum security Ohio State Penitentiary over in Youngstown, which the guys kind of just said right off the bat, you know, we won't be able to do that one, but we want to do it everywhere else. Well, God continue to work behind the scenes and through one particular volunteer uh, in, in Barberton, Ohio, which we live kind of near there. We're in Canal Fulton, so there's a lot of jokes. I don't know if they make it up this far, but there's a lot of jokes down there about Barberton and Barbertucky and can anything good come from Barberton? And so it can, obviously, because this volunteer in Barberton, um, you know, just kept praying and kept trying to see how he could do this. And eventually uh, they have done two stepping up small groups now over there, which is very, very exciting. 
Uh, but that's not all. Um, the other thing that happened was when I was down there talking to that chaplain that day at Belmont, he asked me a question, which was a very odd question, which I wasn't even quite sure how to respond to. But he said to me, do you think it would be possible to do a marriage event for the guys here in prison and their spouses? And everything within me said, that, that's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, how, how would you do something like that? Like, couples aren't incarcerated together. So how would you get these guys and their wives, which are separated geographically, some of them by hours, you know, different places in Ohio. How would you bring them together and try to do a marriage event, which is normally a two or three day event? Like, no, you can't do something like that. But I don't remember exactly what I said. It was a little bit more gracious of an answer than, you know, you must be stupid. You can't do that. So I don't remember what I said, but I kind of like just sort of gave some kind of an answer and sort of dismissed it as like, wow, that was kind of bizarre. Well, what was more bizarre was over the coming uh, three or four weeks, I was asked the same question by three other people, totally unconnected with this chaplain, but by different people in Ohio in our prisons who asked me the same question. Have you ever thought about doing marriage events in prison? Well, by the time I, I got asked that question three or four times, like, you know, I'm a, kind of a slow learner, but I, I begin to think, I think God must be trying to tell us something, and perhaps he wants to do marriage events in prison, which is, it's a crazy idea. I mean, granted, like, it didn't make it like, oh, yeah, everybody's doing that. So I went back to Family Life and asked the question, anybody ever heard of marriage events in prison? And everybody from Dennis Rainey on down kind of went, huh? How would you do a marriage event in a prison? So anyway, we began thinking and praying and talking with different people and, and Laurel and I and different people at Family Life. And so this past February, I guess, what, eight months ago, something like that, Laurel and I went up to Grafton Correctional up in Grafton, Ohio, and we led the first marriage event to our knowledge that, that Family Life or anybody else has ever done in a prison. We had 18 couples who attended, 18 men who were incarcerated. Their wives traveled in for the day. It was a, a 9 to 5 conference on a Saturday. And I think Laurel would agree with me, hands down, it was the greatest marriage event that we have ever been a part of. What God did that day was remarkable. Um, so 18 couples attending, 13 people who indicated a decision for Christ that day. Um, but that's not all. Remember those two guys on West Broad Street in Columbus? Uh, they were really excited about the event, and they said, guess what? We would like to do a marriage event every prison in Ohio. And I went, oh, man, you guys are killing me. Um, so anyway, uh, it's been a slow process. It, it is kind of difficult to, to kind of get some of these things together. But a few weeks ago, uh, we did schedule another marriage event out in Lima, Ohio, at the Allen Oakwood Correctional uh, Institute out there, which will be this coming February. That will be our second event. But in the meantime, as I've begun uh, doing prison ministry now, actually for the whole country, Family Life asked me to coordinate prison ministry just at large for Family Life back in April, I think. So I'm now working with prisons and chaplains in all 50 states. So to date, I have had um, significant interest from chaplains and volunteers in six other states outside of Ohio who are interested in doing marriage events. So where this is going to go or how this is going to work, you know, we, we don't really know. But obviously God is at work, and this is an area that, like I said, we never – dreamed and even when we were asked about it the first couple times we just kind of went uh no i don't i don't think we can do that and now here we are you know just just beginning to really um rub the surface of what god is doing there and so who, who knows in another few years what may be happening uh, even just with marriage events and prisons and other things as well so i could obviously probably talk all day about stuff like this uh and in some ways i would enjoy doing that but we're not going to do that i want to move instead uh, to the book of Nehemiah. So if you have a Bible with you or on your Bible app or uh, whatever you happen to have with you this morning, if you would turn over to the book of Nehemiah, um, we're not going to obviously read the whole book of Nehemiah. Hopefully you're somewhat familiar with the story of Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the walls. 
but we are actually going to read a significant portion this morning, all of chapter 1 and a good chunk of chapter 2, just so you can get a picture of the general story of what's happening here in case you're not familiar with it or if it's been a while since you've been in the book of Nehemiah, just kind of giving you um, the, the situation here of what's going on, the backstory of what we're going to be talking about here in Nehemiah. And um, as we do that, you might say, well, what, what in the world? Like, I think I remember Nehemiah, but I don't remember the part about marriage and kind of where that applies. Well, it's because it doesn't necessarily, Nehemiah is not about marriage. Um, but I want to show you this morning several parallels between the situation that Nehemiah was in, uh, that he was facing, and the situation that we are facing in our country today when it comes to marriage. So I think by the time we're done, you'll kind of see how the, how the dots connect here. Um, so let's go ahead and look at Nehemiah. We're going to begin uh, reading in uh, chapter 1 in verse 1. We're going to go all the way through chapter 2 in verse 18. It says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the city, the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer. Your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if you are exiled people at the, are at the farthest horizons, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you be back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so that he will give me the timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, by the temple, and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy." 
And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horbonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much distressed that someone came to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble that we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also asked them about the gracious. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let's start rebuilding. So they began the good work. So this morning, um, it's it's probably no secret. Uh, when I talk about the, the parallels here, the fact that the, the the walls were broken down, the gates were burned, things were you know fairly well destroyed there and, and in rubble. Um, that marriage is very much in the same condition uh, in our country today. When you think back, you know, a few generations or a hundred years ago or whatever, where we were at with with marriage and just different different issues with marriage or people's uh, attitudes or people I, people's ideas and beliefs about marriage, um, it's very different in the world that we live in today. And, and the the walls are kind of broken down, the gates are burned, if you will. So we're going to spend some time kind of looking at these parallels this morning of Nehemiah and kind of the the work that we do. And the, the message that Laurel and I and others at Family Life are trying to um, spread help and hope to people and, and try to rebuild these walls and these relationships. The first thing I want us to notice, just three things this morning that we're going to look at from Nehemiah. The first one is that Nehemiah was passionate. Uh, when you go back to chapter 1, verse 3, early on when we were reading there, um, we see the reaction of Nehemiah when, when they come and they tell him that there's great trouble and disgrace, that the wall is broken down, the gates have been burned. His reaction is we're told there that he, he sat down and wept. In fact, he mourned and he fasted, it says, for days. Not, not just like, you know, for five minutes, not just like kind of cried a little bit and then went, okay, I'm going to go on with what I'm doing as normal. But his heart was literally broken over this. And for days he mourned and fasted and wept over this news that he had received. Um, now, we live in a, in a world where we all get bad news from time to time, right? Chances are even this week or this morning you saw something that was, was bad news. Um, so... It's kind of just a part of the world that we live in, a reality that we deal with. But I, w- I would hope that every time you receive some bad news, you, you don't have this kind of a reaction, this, this deep of a, of a grieving you know, for every single thing. Like, for instance, you go to the store to get an item for a recipe you're making, and they're out of that particular item. Um, you know, I mean, don't raise your hand, but I certainly hope that you don't like, like collapse in the aisle and just start, you know, crying and weeping because they're out of this, this thing you needed. Or, you know, the baby's diaper is wet again. That's, that's not good news, right? It's like, I just changed this thing 30 minutes ago. What do you mean? Um, I got to change it again. 
But I mean, hopefully, most days, anyhow, you, you don't like just weep and cry and break down over those kind of things. Or your favorite sports team loses, which I guess if your favorite sports team is the Browns, it's like you're probably kind of used to it, you know. And there's always next year, right? But, but things like that, I mean, hopefully we don't have that kind of a reaction, even though it's bad news. Hopefully we don't sit down and, and weep and mourn and fast and just for days we're just like incapacitated over news like that. But most of you have probably been in a situation before where something or someone that's really, really close to you, you receive some news about them, that something has happened to them or, you know, whatever it might be. And we probably have had situations where for days you, you wake up every morning and go, was, was that really real? I mean, is this really happening? Because um, it's just such news that you're so heartbroken. Because, and the reason is, is because you're so passionate about that particular thing or that particular person or that particular uh, relationship. So in, in marriage today, uh, it, it seems like we live in a time where our, our world and our country has kind of tried to trample out uh, traditional biblical marriage. They've created a sense of chaos and confusion when it comes to, to genders and marriage and God's plan for the family. And so I don't know about you, but for Laurel and I, we, we came to a point in ministry where this continued to happen and we continue to see um, things that were happening around us. We continue to witness couples who... Uh, you know, just kind of exited and, and threw away decades and decades of, of marriage. Um, one of the things for us was that uh, there was a pastor here in Northeast Ohio that called me up one day to let me know that his wife, he came home from, from work, which was the church, came home from church and found a note on the kitchen table. His wife had packed everything in a U-Haul truck and took their four kids and had left that afternoon and was filing for divorce. And, and it wasn't just that one pastor. That was the 12th pastor that we had known in less than 10 years who the same thing had happened to, who uh, had lost his family, had lost his ministry. And so those are the kind of things that, at least for us, um, our hearts were broken. We, we sat down for days and just went, how, how in the world does this kind of stuff happen? Um, and so we were, we were heartbroken about it because it's an area that we were passionate about. And so um, we, we decided you know, that, that we wanted to do something about that. We began exploring you know, how could we help in this issue because this is a big deal. And that, over a number of years, kind of led us to family life, and we began to take action uh, to see what we could do about carrying out some things to help rebuild walls and gates uh, when it came to marriage here, specifically in Northeast Ohio, but even around the country on a, on a bigger scale. The second thing here in Nehemiah that I want us to notice, not only is he passionate about this issue as this news arrives to him, uh, but he also is very persistent. If we were to continue reading throughout the book of Nehemiah, uh, and, and you can do that, I guess, when you go home, if you want to, you can read through there, but what you'll discover is that um, Nehemiah faced a lot of persecution. He faced a lot of roadblocks. He, he faced a lot of uh, just different oppositions and different things going on as he moved through this process. Um, that if he weren't so persistent, he would have just given up and said, you know what, just forget it. I'm just going to go back to the palace where, where life is good and where things are pretty easy. And, and I'm just going to forget this because this is just too hard. Like, I don't need this kind of stress in my life. Uh, but that's not what happened. If, if you read through the book of Nehemiah, uh, even in the face of all these obstacles and all these opposition, you will see that Nehemiah pursued on because he was persistent about this thing that he was passionate about. So to give you a few examples, in chapter 2, uh, where we read, he, he's mocked and ridiculed by Sanballat and Tobiah. Uh, he's accused of rebelling against the king uh, there in chapter 2. Uh, in chapter 4, Sanballat and Tobiah, it's kind of just this reoccurring theme. They just keep coming back. So they come back in chapter 4 again, and out of anger, 
they actually ridicule and, and poke fun at their work. If you're familiar with the story, you'll remember the verse where they kind of joke with each other. They're needling each other, saying, hey, if a, if a fox ran across that wall, it'd probably just fall down, you know, saying that the, the quality of the work that he was doing was, was not good. So over and over, the, the work was hard. Uh, persecution came. The people got discouraged. Um, in chapter 5, there's an outcry from the people, from the workers who are doing the work. Uh, and rightly so, because we're told there that they're mortgaging their fields, they're mortgaging their homes, they're selling off their children in or, into slavery in order to buy food. Um, it's a very desperate situation. And, and yet, uh, Nehemiah you know, prays about it and figures out how to pull people together and continue uh, moving on over and over and over every time throughout the story. Because um, not only is he passionate about it, but that drives him to be persistent to say that this has got to be finished. This job is, is too important to quit. It's too important to be discouraged. He wasn't tricked to come down and stop the work. Even Sanballat and Tobiah hired someone to try to trick him into stopping the work and coming to meet with them. He said, no, I can't do that. I have to continue this work. I can tell you that there are days when Laurel and I get tired uh, in the work that we do. I can tell you that there are seasons where we get a little bit discouraged uh, in ministry, as anybody probably would. Uh, but we only have to think about it for a few seconds, you know, or, or run into the next person whose marriage is struggling or who's thinking about giving up or see the next story in the news about something where families are being attacked or whatever, that, that we, we get back up and we say, no, no, we, we can't quit. We can't allow some discouragement or some, some opposition to discourage us in the work that we do, even though there's obstacles and even though there's, there's days that are, are long and tiring. We have to continue on because not only are we passionate about God's plan for marriage, but we have to persist because there's so many people who, who need to hear about the hope of Christ. And then the third thing here in Nehemiah that you will discover about him, not only is he passionate about this, not only is he persistent to do the work, uh, but very importantly here, Nehemiah is prayerful. He's prayerful. He's not doing this all on his own, uh, but he's doing it with the help of God and he's relying upon him and calling out for prayer. We saw it in, in the verses back in chapter 1. In fact, we read uh, a prayer there for a good portion of chapter 1 where it says, Nehemiah cried out to the Lord and he prayed uh, to him there. But again, as you continue reading through the book and you continue seeing different opposition and different situations that Nehemiah faced, it's amazing to see that the very first thing that Nehemiah always does is he always turns to the Lord in prayer. Let, let me give you a few examples. In, in chapter 2, uh, when the king asked him, what, what is it that you want? Which was pretty amazing to begin with, right? He asked him, why are you so sad? So he tells him why. And then the king immediately says, well, what, what is it that you want? In other words, kind of like, how, how can I help you with this issue? I mean, that, that's pretty amazing. But before Nehemiah answered there in chapter 2, in verse 4 of chapter 2, it records there uh, that he prayed first. He didn't just turn and reply to the king. He prayed and then he replied to the king. Now, it doesn't really tell us here. Some things you have to kind of read into the word and just sort of try to figure it out. I'm assuming that this was not one of those, hey, king, time out. Let me, let me go like have a prayer meeting for like an hour or something. Like let me get in my closet over here and pray about how to answer this question. I don't think that's what happened. I think it was kind of one of those um, God help me now kind of prayers. You guys ever had one of those where a situation comes up and like, you know, you need to pray about it. You know, you need God's help, but you don't have time to really just pull aside and take a a prolonged time to pray about it. So you just kind of cry out to God and say, man, help me right now because I'm in a situation I don't know what to do. I think that was more the prayer probably that Nehemiah prayed here. So he probably just kind of pauses for a second, says this brief prayer, cries out to God for help, and then he immediately turns and answers uh, the king who then grants his requests. Uh, in chapter 4, when Sanballat and Tobiah ridicule the work, um, again, we're told here that Nehemiah prays. This one is... Um, 
probably done this too. It's one of those kind of what I would call God get them prayers, you know, where you just want to kind of like rip the person's face off who's talking to you. But you know that that's probably not the appropriate thing to do. You're pretty sure. So rather than do that, you kind of pray one of those, God, would, would you just get this person? Because they are really getting to me and they're being mean and disrespectful. And you know I'm trying to do the right thing here and honor you. And, and this person's in my face. Um, so literally, Nehemiah here in chapter 4, he prays and asks God to turn their insults back on their own heads. You, you could read it later. It's, it's kind of kind of fun a little bit. You kind of go, yeah, you know, because there's been somebody that you probably wanted to to do something like that to or pray to. And, and that's what Nehemiah does. Is he just prays, God, would you take all the insults that they're giving to me and would you just turn all these things back around on, on them? Uh, and, and, and God says that, you know, he will... He will do that, that, that we don't have to worry about stuff like that, that he'll take care of those kind of things. Um, later in chapter 4, Sanballat and Tobiah continue to plot evil against Nehemiah. And in verse 9 of chapter 4, we read again that Nehemiah and the others, they prayed and they posted a guard to, to meet the threat. They actually began working with one hand and holding a weapon with the other hand, we're told. But even before they take action or do that, they, they prayed about it there in chapter 4 again. Uh, later in chapter 6, when Sanballat and Tobiah continue interfering, sending numerous messengers to them to try to trick them and kind of wear them down, again we're told that Nehemiah prays uh, for strength there. And then the, the cool thing, a couple cool things, one is that the wall is completed. Does anybody remember how long it takes to complete the wall or have a guess? A couple years, what do you think? 52 days. 52 days to complete the wall. What's cool, not only that it's done in 52 days, but it's recorded here that when their enemies and the surrounding nation heard that the work was completed, it says that they were afraid and they lost their self-confidence. The reason in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 16, it says, because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. So what's cool is that the, the focus is not even on Nehemiah. Like, you know, if this, if this were today and something like this happened, what would happen is like everybody would start like tagging him on Facebook or, you know, he would start this company for rebuilding walls and everybody would be trying to hire him. It's like that's not even what it was about. Like nobody even really noticed Nehemiah per se, but, but they're all like trembling and fearful uh, because they realized that, that God had done something here that only God uh, could do. The, this work that had been completed had been done with the help uh, of their God. So, so these are the, the three things this morning that I want us to now take, uh, the fact that uh, we need to be passionate about certain things, we need to be persistent, and we need to be prayerful. And I want to apply it just in the last few minutes here quickly uh, to the area of marriage. And I know that some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, okay, I'm not married, so I can kind of just like zone out, I can check my phone, you know, see who messaged me or what, you know, what people, see if Pastor Todd posted a picture of Florida yet on Facebook or whatever. Uh, before you zone out, let me just encourage you that the three things that we're talking about here, they can be applied to a lot of different things. For Nehemiah, it was applied to, to rebuilding a wall. So it wasn't marriage here for him. So if you're not married this morning, let me, let me give you two words of encouragement real quick before we just dive into how this applies. One is that, you know, some of you here who are not married, there may come a day in your life and through turn of events that, that God asks you that you may be married. So it may be that you just want to kind of like tuck this in your back pocket in case it comes in handy uh, someday. But for others of you... Um, there are ways that you could apply this right now to situations or other relationships or other things in your life uh, where this is going to be helpful. So stick with me here just for a couple of minutes. So the first thing that I want to encourage those of you who are in this room and you are married, I want to encourage you that you need to be passionate about your marriage. This is something that's very important to God. He designed marriage. He 
made this a, a relationship that not only is about the two of you, but it's, it's a picture of our relationship with Christ. That's one of the reasons why marriage is so significant because of the bridegroom of Christ. And so as people in our society destroy the picture of marriage, it's significant not just because of those two people and the relationship that they have. It's significant because it portrays our relationship to Christ uh, and, and the wedding feast that will happen one day and, and all these different things. It's much bigger than just the, the two of you. But let me encourage you to be passionate about your marriage and to be constantly investing into it, to be building into it. Um, you, you can't just coast through. Uh, and that's what a lot of people do is because of this fairy tale idea where, you know, what always happens is these two people meet and they fall in love and then they ride off on a horse in the sunset and they live happily ever after, right? So that, that's the way it must work. So we meet somebody that we fall head over heels in love with. And so we just think, well, this must be one of those fairy tale things that, you know, we'll just live happily ever after. And unfortunately, it, it's a pretty good story in a 30-minute fairy tale. But in real life, I guess it works for the first 30 minutes. But then after a little while, you're like, okay, this doesn't seem too fairy, fairy tale-like anymore. Um, so the truth is, at Family Life, we have a saying that says, great marriages don't just happen. You don't just get married to somebody, and then like 30 years later, you're just like, wow, I'm not sure how this happened. We, we just have this great marriage. Like, we didn't really do anything to try to get here. It's just, wow, every day it just gets better, and we're just more in love with each other than ever before. Um, I don't think I know a single couple, including us. We've been married 19 years. We're on staff with Family Life. We didn't join because our marriage was, was perfect. You know, we joined because we had a passion for, for marriage. But if you're going to have a great marriage, which is pretty great, by the way, when, when you get to a point where you say, man, this is really good, uh, but you don't get there by accident. You get there by a lot of work. You get there by a lot of forgiveness. You get there by overlooking a lot of faults. You get there by investing a lot of time and effort and intentionality in the relationship that you have um, with that person. So let me encourage you this morning that after your relationship with God, which should be the primary thing, the most important thing at the very top of your list is your relationship with God. But after your relationship with God, if you're in here and you're married, the relationship with your spouse should be number two. And for a lot of people, I'll tell you what it is. It's one of two things. It's either the, the job or the vocation that you have that kind of, not, not that you would say, oh, that's more important. But when you really begin to think about, um, you know, the, the time that you spend and the way that you invest and the, the, um, the effort that you give, you know, a lot of us, are, our job comes next. Or uh, for a lot of parents that we know, it's, it's their kids. Uh, that come next. And I'm not criticizing um, sports and things like that, but like we, we watch some people, some married couples who never see each other, never talk to each other, never have conversations with each other because they've got, you know, four or five kids and they're running them in four or five different directions every single night of the week and sports and different things like that. And sometimes we just look and go, oh my gosh, how, how do you, how do you do that? Like, it's just something we can hardly fathom. Uh, so while jobs are important, right? I mean, jobs are good. That's a good thing. Kids are good. And we have two of them. We love kids. Um, but our kids will tell you that, you know, while they're important and while they are a priority in our family and they're pretty high on the list. Um, but, you know, there are times where we say, well, we're going to go out on a date or we're going to go away for a weekend together or whatever, because our, our marriage is important and we're going to invest in that. Um, and so that needs to be the, the second thing, a high priority uh, that we need to be passionate about. Not only that, but you have to be persistent also when it comes to marriage. Um, marriage is not easy. Uh, so for those of you who are married, you probably know if you've been married for longer than just a couple weeks or something, you, you realize that it's not easy. But at the same time, marriage is not something that you can just quit. It's not something that you can just say, well, this is, this is too hard or this isn't working out the way that we thought it was or we're, we're not riding off in the sunset happily you know, ever after. So evidently I married the wrong person. So I, I must just supposed to exit here 
and then like kind of start over and go find who the right person was and then, and then we'll live happily ever after. And sadly, we know some couples who've been through that process four, five, six, you know, different times, still looking for Prince Charming, still thinking whenever I finally get this right, I'm going to ride off in the sunset and live happily ever after. And, and to be honest, they're kind of like more miserable every, every time they repeat this process. Um, so our word of wisdom, I guess, would be whether you're in a first marriage or some of you may be here, maybe you are in a, in a second or a third marriage, but regardless of, of where you're at, That's not, I mean, we talk about that later, I guess. That's not the issue, though. The issue is the marriage that you're in, the person that you have committed to currently that you've said, you know, for as long as we both shall live, uh, we're in this together forever. Um, You you have to be persistent and investing in this marriage all the time in order uh, to make that work. Those of you who are married, most of you, when you got married, probably said something like for better or for worse. Okay, I thought that would sound familiar. Okay, the reason you said that is very simple. It's because sometimes things are better and sometimes things are worse. So I, I knew a pastor who a couple came to him. They were, I mean, they were really struggling. Things were really bad. And they, they laid out this scenario for how bad things were. Like, here, here's where we're at, just this and that. And all the, I mean, just unpacked this stuff and laid it out there for the pastor and said, this is, this is where we're at. And they were really looking for him to say, wow, you, you should probably just exit because that's, that's pretty bad, you know. So he just patiently waited and calmly listened to everything. And when, when he got done, he just said these words to them. Very simply, he said, well, you signed up for worse. And they went, what? That's not what we wanted to hear, but it's true. Um, he said, you can't give up and throw in the towel. Because I get it. Like, things are bad. I heard what you just shared with me, you know. But, but God can help you work through that. If you're persistent, you know, God can. He has a way of fixing and doing things that nobody can do. He helped Nehemiah rebuild these walls that most people thought could never be done did it in 52 days. Um, so you have to be persistent. You have to hang in there. You got to do the hard work. You got to grind through times when it's really tough and just be persistent. And then thirdly, and keyly, uh, you have to be prayerful when it comes to marriage. Remember, we, we said Nehemiah prayed about all these things because he knew that it was a job that was too big for him. He knew that. So he knew that only by turning to God could this ever be accomplished. He never set out to go do this thinking, okay, I'm, I'm good enough at rebuilding walls. I think I can pull this off with the right group of people. He knew that wasn't true, but he prayed every step of the way. And, and I'm sure at times prayed, God, unless you come through and help us, like we, we just, we're not going to be able to do this. So, so please come and help us. Um, marriage is another one of those things that it, it's too big to do on your own. If, if you're here and you're struggling through some stuff and you're like, man, I just don't know if we can do this. Guess what? You, you probably can't. It's, it's probably too hard for you, uh, but it's not too hard for God. So that's why you got to be prayerful and reach out to him. Uh, ask him to help you through that. And so, again, if you're here today and you're not married and you're saying, OK, well, that doesn't really apply to me. I guarantee you there's probably something in your life right now. There's probably something. I mean, if you don't have an issue that you're struggling with, then I'd, I'd like to talk to you afterwards and find out your secret, right? Because there's always something coming my way that I'm going, oh, man, here's another, another thing i got to deal with. Um, so there's probably something this morning that God is, is probably kind of nudging you a little bit, saying, hey, you need to be a little bit more passionate about that. So if it's not your marriage, if it's not your kids, if it's not your jobs, if it's not some kind of a, an issue, you know, like marriage or abortion or, or something. I'm sure there's something that God is saying, hey, this, this is really important. This is really close to my heart. And it should be close to your heart. Uh, there's probably something that God is saying, hey, you need to be a little bit more passionate about this particular thing. Or there's probably something that this week you, you thought of as you struggled through and went, you know what? I, I might as well just quit on this. I, I don't think it matters. It's just too hard. I'm, I'm too tired of 
whatever, dealing with junk at work or I'm too tired of trying to get ahead financially. I should probably just declare bankruptcy or, you know, there, there's something that you probably thought this week or even today about maybe I should just quit. You know, I'm just tired. I just don't know. And maybe God this morning is saying, don't quit. You just need to be persistent in this thing because it is important and it is worth it. And when you get to the other side of this issue, you'll see that it was worth not giving up. So maybe there's something else this morning that God is saying. You just need to push through and be persistent. And then I am quite sure there's probably a long list of things this morning that we could be more prayerful about if we're honest. But maybe there's something this morning. Maybe it's one of these issues that God is saying this morning. You, you just need to trust me. You, you're, you're wearing yourself out. You're killing yourself trying to do whatever this thing is. And to be quite honest, it, it's something that should, it's too big for you. You can never tackle this on your own. You, you need to trust God in that. You just need to be more prayerful. Uh, you need to turn to him uh, this morning. So uh, as, as Ron comes back up and is going to lead us in a, uh, a time of invitation reflection this morning, let me just ask you to consider um, what is it? Is it your marriage or is it something else that God is saying you need to be passionate about it? Uh, you need to be persistent about it. You need to be prayerful about it. As, as we end our time this morning, just kind of thinking about that this morning, let me just challenge you. What, what is it that God is saying to you? And maybe just ask him this morning, what, what is it that you really want me to do? Or how do you want me to navigate? Or how do you want me to get through this particular thing that right now, it just looks pretty hopeless. Uh, it looks pretty helpless to me from where I'm standing. But, but just trusting that God can get you through uh, that particular thing, whether it's something in marriage or a family issue or some other issue that's completely unrelated this morning, will, will you trust him in that issue and help him to see you through?